Greet you in Jesus' name this morning. The title of the message this morning is Living as a Child of the King. Get our thoughts going here. What would it be like if your dad were King David? Try to envision that. Turn with me in your Bibles to First Chronicles twenty nine. Starting in verse 1. Furthermore, David the king said unto all the congregation, Solomon my son, whom alone God hath chosen, is yet young and tender, and the work is great. For the palace is not for man, but for the Lord God. Now I prepared with all my might for the house of my God, the gold for things to be made of gold, and the silver for things of silver, and the brass for things of brass, the iron for things of iron, and wood for things of wood, unks, stones, and stones to be set, glistering stones, and of divers colors, and all manners of precious stones, and marble stones in abundance. Moreover, because I have set my affection to the house of my God, I have of my own proper good of gold and silver, which I have given to the house of my God, over and above all that I have prepared for the holy house. Even three thousand talents of gold, of the gold of Ophar, seven thousand talents of refined silver to overlay the walls of the houses with all. The gold for things of gold, the silver for things of silver, and for all manner of work to be made by the hands of artificers. And who then is willing to consecrate his service this day unto the Lord? So, you're David's son. And uh, need a new church building. So, uh, Dad decides to make a donation to the building fund. And uh, he gets this idea that he needs to make a donation to the building fund. So he makes this donation to the building fund. 110 tons of gold. So we're talking about five semi-loads at... Uh, uh, current price is about $1,300 an ounce. So, then he decides maybe he should give about uh, 260 tons of silver at about $19.50 an ounce. So, the gold's worth about $4,576,000,000. And the silver is worth about uh, 
$162,240,000. Now, this is Dad's idea. Now, remember, you're, this is your dad. So, he uh, total, he's thrown in about $4,738,000,000 into the, into the building fund <coughs> for your church. So, how would you feel as a child? Now, remember, that's just what he gave the building fund. That doesn't say he gave everything he owned. That's just what he decided to give the building fund. <clears throat> now, uh, let's let our imagination run a little bit more here. If you were Solomon, and uh, what would you think that your share of this world's goods would be if Dad passed away? Now he is capable of giving four billion seven hundred thirty-eight million to the building fund. Well, what do you think you might get if Dad passed away? I mean, as far as inheritance. Come on. What would you think? We got to have a number here. Ten billion. Ten billion. All agreed? Is that a high number? Low number? You said billion, right? All right, ten billion. So if you gave four billion to the building fund, uh, you might get ten billion when you're. <clears throat> A little chunk of change, I, I would say. Now turn with me to numbers. Eighteen. So we'll uh, take this little story a little further. So Dad passed away, and uh, we get ten billion dollar check. Think that would help your humility, any? Numbers eighteen twenty. The Lord comes to Aaron. The Lord spake unto Aaron, Thou, which means the Levites, shall have no inheritance in their land, neither shalt thou have any part, which means share, among them. I am thy part, I am your share, and thine inheritance among the children of Israel. So now, dead dies, you get ten billion dollars. Here comes God along and says, uh, 
I'll make a trade with you. Give me your $10 billion and I'll give you me. What would you think? How then would you feel? $10 million, $10 billion in the bank and God says, Give me your $10 billion. I'll trade you. I'll trade that for me. Your share was $10 billion. I want your share to be me. How would you feel? Ripped off? For Aaron, it was not a hypothetical situation. No, he didn't have $10 billion. I, I'm not sure what Aaron had. But the simple fact of the matter, everybody else had stuff that they could... They had a chunk of land and they had all these things. And God comes along and says, no, 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 no. You're not allowed to have any chunk of land. I'm giving you me." Would you think twice before you dished out the $10 billion? No, wait, 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 wait a minute, wait a minute, hold on, hold on, I have to think about this one for a while. Or, absolutely, no problem, any day, any time, no sweat. think Aaron felt how come preachers always get the short end of the stick <laughs> it's like we can't win I mean just about time I get a you know think I'm going to get a little property once you know you know get, get a little something and, and God says just like pull the rug out from underneath me or do you think he thought Lord If, if that's what you want, but I don't know if I can manage all that at one time. I don't know if I can handle all that wealth at once. You know, when God said to Aaron, I am thy part and thy inheritance... He made the Levites wealthier than all the Bill Gates. All the billionaires in the world combined. He did. All of them that ever lived since the foundation of the world.
wife your treasure and my treasure is not God, we are penniless. Absolutely penniless. Maybe God does give us something, but that doesn't increase our wealth. God may take away something and it doesn't decrease our wealth because everything we are, our part and our inheritance is God. Because we have something that we are not going to have to pass off to somebody else when we, they stretch us out in that pine box out in front here. It's ours now. It's ours then. It will be eternally ours and nobody can take it away. Billion, trillion, whatever you want to say. Now turn with me to Romans 8.14. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are, first of all, the sons of God. I don't know about you, but I think I take that term way too light. I, I just, yeah, I'm, I'm a child of God. I'm, I'm a son of God. Uh, you know, I'm a child. He's, I'm his child. And, and uh, Now, wait a minute. What are ramifications of all that? For we have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but ye have received the spirit of adoption whereby we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit itself wit bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. And if children, then heirs, and joint heirs with Christ, if so be... That we suffer with him, that we may also be glorified together. Now, how, how rich was Christ? Now, I didn't ask you how much money he had, I asked how rich he was. Anybody ever walk the face of the earth who was richer than Christ? Never got close. Even though the Bible says he didn't even have a place to lay his head. And I find it interesting, just, I'll just throw it in here for what it's worth. We are heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. Oh, we just love that. Oh, we just grab a hold of that, you know. Uh, that is Tremendous. That is awesome. That is incredible. You can't wrap your mind around that. If you're willing to suffer, then you'll be glorified. Whoa, wait a minute now. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. 
Do I enjoy suffering? Am I willing to suffer? We like the glorified part. But there's stipulation here. I think probably we don't, as North American Christians, probably don't get a grasp of what it is to suffer for Christ. Uh, we have small instances where we felt like somebody didn't treat us nice. Uh, like the first time I ever gave out a gospel tract, I did a truck stop, and the, guy, the man was fueling up the semi, and I said, here, you should mind a gospel tract. See you in hell, he said. See you in hell. Now, that was my introduction to passing out gospel literature. Uh, uh, yeah, embarrassing, maybe a little, but the Amplifier says we share his inheritance with him. Only we m must share his suffering if we are to share his glory. So, God in. Tell us it's going to be a piece of cake. He didn't promise it's going to be a piece of cake. He didn't promise it's going to be roses. He didn't promise that you're going to sit around in the palace all day long. Things are going to be tough at times. But we can share his glory. So let's have another question. How poor were you before you became a Christian? Do you and I recognize the incredible, almost incomprehensible difference in wealth from before I was a Christian to after I was a Christian. Now we're going to have to get past our American mentality here. We're going to have to get past that. And I mean seriously past that. Do I understand how poor I was? Do I understand how broken my life was? I read recently, and I think it was on the other side of the wall book, uh, I'm not sure, but but, you know, they had a big earthquake in Haiti. And this uh, relief worker was going around trying to figure out who to help and who not to help. And, he, and uh, if I recall the story, somebody from a mission took him, was taking him around to different families that they knew. They came upon this house that was totally destroyed. I mean, it was flat on the ground. It just totally gone. And this man was sitting out front. I got out there and was two uh, couple items and a, and, a, and a chair. And he was sitting on a lawn chair or whatever by the house. And this relief worker and the missionary or whatever was taking him around, walked up and, and started conversing about it. And, and, he, and this Haitian man 
didn't know very much English, and he says to the relief worker, it's broken. I mean, it's in rubble. It is on the ground. It is nothing left. And he uses these simple terms. It is broken. No, it broke. Yeah, it broke. Pretty good illustration, I think. It broke. Heap of rubble. The Bible says in Isaiah 53, 5, Our Lord Jesus Christ was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon Him, and by His stripes we were healed. And those two words, transgression and iniquity, Brothers and sisters, this morning we've got to get to understand what transgression and iniquity is. It's just not a small item. Transgression is breaking away from authority. It's rebellion. It's, it's what happened in heaven. It's what happened when, when man fell. You know, you think about the equivalents, all right? You just think about hard work brings money. You know, drinking brings poverty. Uh, uh, faithfulness in marriage brings happiness in marriage. You know, the cause and the effect. You know, this, this brings this. And you take transgression and iniquity, and it takes the blood of Jesus Christ. Now, there's nothing going to take care of transgression and iniquity except the blood of the Son of God. Let's just try to get a hold of that. That is an incredible thought. See the equivalent. So if the blood of, son, the, blood of the Son of God is on one side, transgression and iniquity, I suppose, and I, I, this is maybe a guess on my part, the best description of that would be hell. Folks, this morning, that is a sobering thought. How broke was it? Do we recognize the perversion, the, t the twistedness, the deformity... The crookedness and the rebellion of transgression and iniquity. Do we understand that? Does it matter? 
Is it a small ticket item or is it a big ticket item? How can we really understand what it is to be like to be a child of the king if we don't understand how broken it was? How broke it was? And how bad it was? And what it took to fix it? See, this whole thing, this whole concept of how we approach all this affects our entire way of thinking our entire world view our entire perspective of what's happening around us what's happening within us what's happening how valuable the church of Jesus Christ is what's, where our culture is headed it has all this if we don't get the transgression and iniquity and how broke it was and how the the death of the Lord Jesus makes us heirs and joint heirs of Jesus Christ. We're all, you know, we don't understand that. We're on a sea of uh, whatever. So, what is my attitude? What is my perspective? What is the attitude of my heart toward Christ my King? Is He more than I could ever think, dream of, or ask for? Is His wealth indescribable? Do I feel small? Or am I trying to throw a weight around and tell him what to do? Am I pouring out my life in love and devotion to God? Do I care? With this perspective of what I was and what I have, how does that affect my relationship to my brother, sister, and church, other Christians? How does that affect them? Am I compassionate? like God has been to me? Or do I always... I just got this habit of putting them down. Am I a source of discouragement to them because of my careless view of transgression and iniquity? Are they grieved because of my lifestyle and my careless attitude? Am I too proud to confess, confess my offenses and ask for forgiveness?
considering what I was and what God has given me in his grace and mercy, how does that affect my relationship with those that aren't saved? You see, if I don't understand how broke it was for me, I won't understand how broke it was it is for them. And then I won't have any compassion. Can I remember how futile and empty it was living for myself and for the devil? Can I remember that? Some people ask, does my attitudes and, and how I behave really matter that much? I'm the only one fish in the sea. Does it really matter? Well, as you all know, I work at Marietta Bible School. <clears throat> now, I'll use this illustration. So occasionally a phone rings up at a home or a Bible school, and somebody will have uh, some uh, concern or complaint or something about what's happened at Bible school. Uh, you know, they shouldn't be doing this, or they shouldn't be doing this, or maybe they shouldn't be singing this song, or they shouldn't... And they have these concerns. And most of the time they're legitimate. All right? And I tell them, I, you know, I don't run the Bible school. I, uh, I work there. I'm an employee. I'm not trying to slough off my responsibility. But, you know, we have our uh, organizational structure. And I will do my best to relate to those who make the decisions. Uh, your concern, and I thank you for calling. <clears throat> and this happens often enough. One time I was, I was, I was in, the, in the office, and, and I, I said, somebody, said to somebody in the office, can't remember who it was, it's like, why do these people call me? Like, why don't they call the board? Well, why do they call me up for? You know what they said? You are the face of Maranatha. I was floored. I said, really? Yeah. When they think of Maranatha, they think of Dennis Martin. So they look up Dennis Martin's phone number and they call Dennis Martin. I used to just work here. I don't run this place. I just work here. You know, I try to manage the kitchen, keep the groceries there and the sewers open and and whatever it takes to keep it going, the boiler cooking and, you know, all these things and try to fix whatever's broke. And, and really? And they said, yeah, you are. Oh, my <coughs> And they probably think, so how naive are you? Worked there 20 years, 
and think that you don't somehow represent Maranatha Bible School. A startling realization. A startling realization. You know, I sketch on slow, I guess. I, I don't know. I'm, I just like, me, face of Maranatha Bible School? I mean, why don't they talk about the chairman? Why don't they talk about the, the, the principals that run this place all the time? It's like, you and I are the face of Jesus to the world. I hope that's not a startling realization, but if it is, if you haven't realized that yet, maybe you catch on slow like me. But it's true. It does make a difference what Dennis Martin does, says, and acts at Marietta Bible School because for some people I'm a face of the place. Unfortunately, or fortunately, whatever you want to say, I don't know, I can't help it. But it's just the way it is. That's their perspective. It does make a difference whether we act like and behave like and have a pers the proper perspective that we are a child of the king. When Micah's neighbor thinks of Christianity, he's going to think of Micah. And when, when uh, Arnie's neighbor thinks of uh, Christianity, he's going to think of Arnie. And every single person in here whether we like it, whether we realize it, whether we address it or we understand it, that's the way it is. And we, by our behavior, our action, and the way we think and behave, reflects good or bad on the kingdom of God. That is an incredibly sobering thought. When they see us as Christians, do they see consistency? Do they see commitment? Do they see integrity? Do they see humility? I've read this before and I'll read it again this morning. Andrew Murray said, Humility is the only root from which the graces grow. The graces being love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, and temperance. The only root from which the graces grow and the one indispensable condition of true fellowship with Jesus. Humility is a place of entire dependence on, on God. Is, from the very nature of things, the first and the highest virtue of man. It is the root of every virtue and so pride or the loss of this humility is the root of every sin and evil. Humility undergirds them all. That's where it starts. In being an incredibly wealthy child of the king, brothers and sisters this morning, we need intense humility. I need intense humility. What are my priorities? 
Is the world seeing a steady change in my life? Am I experiencing progressive sanctification? You know, you and I don't grow up overnight. It takes effort. It takes commitment. It takes passion, hard work, faith, integrity, humility, sacrificing of self, agape love, and a host of other Christian disciplines to be able to be conformed into the image of Jesus Christ in our daily life. That's what it takes. Being a child of the king don't put you on easy street. And I believe this morning that the only <clears throat> the only way we as Christians have any kind of a hope of a glorious future, a happy future here and in heaven is We need to become like Christ, and we need to obey Christ. That is what our future depends on. Because no one, you nor I, have ever beat the law of cause and effect. It is impossible. You can't beat the law of cause and effect. I can't beat it. So instead of trying to beat it, why don't we try to use it? You see, I can use the law of cause and effect to secure my spiritual future, my eternal destiny. Whatsoever a man sows, that shall she also... That if I can get it out, that shall he also reap. And we have a hangover head, boy, you better do your this or else you're going to get this or you're going to get that and it's going to happen to you. And, and you know, you just don't know what's going to happen if you don't do whatever. Let, let's use the other way. If you follow Christ in, a, Christ in obedience and love him with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, you have no idea the blessings of the future. They're going to happen. The law of cause and effect says it's going to have to happen. Nobody has ever beat it. Nobody. But you can use it. I can use it. Do they see the unsaved see a believer or a disciple? Did I ever read this? The difference between a believer and a disciple? I should not remember if I ever did. I... I read it so many times at home, I can't remember whether I read it over the pulpit or not. This was written by Corey Yoder, Osceola, Texas. And the edit this was actually in the Calvary Messenger 2010. The editor's note, perhaps a distinction the author makes between a believer and a disciple is the difference between truth held in the mind and truth changing the heart. And this is his list. A believer says, I can be rich in possessions of this world and still have God. A disciple says, I have left all to follow Jesus. A believer says, I need to stand on God's truth with no compromise. A disciple says, Jesus is his truth. I stand with him. He needs no defense. A believer says, I need help to keep things in order. A disciple says, I have surrendered all to him. 
here I am. A believer says, if that's the way this church is, I'm out of here. A disciple says, what can I do to help resolve the problems here? A believer says, brother, you need to stop doing that or else. A disciple says, how can I show you God's heart? Will you walk with me as we learn how to gaze on Jesus? A believer says, oh, well, there's not much I can do. He says he has peace doing that. A disciple says, I need to spend God time I need to spend time interceding to God for him and redemptively exhort him to true surrender and obedience to God. A believer says, I had a weak moment. I was discouraged because of whatever, blank. And I had a little fall. A disciple says, in my weak moment, I made a conscious choice to turn to sin instead of to Jesus Christ. And for this I repent. A believer says, it seems like everyone else, oh, a believer says, it seems like no one else is doing it, so why should I have to? A disciple says, though all go astray, Jesus is my life. I cannot and will not deny him. A believer says, God wants me to have a happy life. A disciple says, I have no life of my own. I have forsaken my life and my right and my right to be happy. A believer says, God wants me to have a fulfilling life. A disciple says, there is no fulfillment outside of Christ. A believer says, show me where the Bible says I can't. A disciple says, show me more the heart of God. A believer says, how sanctified do I have to be to satisfy God? A disciple says, Sanctify me completely, O oh my God. A believer says, A believer is quick to make excuse for sin. It's my weakness, you know. A disciple says, I will confess. A disciple will confess his sin and walk with Jesus and continue to be changed by Christ. A believer has something to hide. He's afraid of transparency. He rarely opens his personal life up. A disciple welcomes the light and loves transparency. He has discovered the joy and freedom of having his personal life open. A believer's chief concern is, what price do I have to pay? A disciple's chief concern is, how will this affect the testimony of Jesus? A believer talks only about God's mercy and love, expecting God to understand his unwillingness to yield his heart to truth. A disciple realizes that God will not bend his truth for any man. <clears throat> Child of the King. Do I believe or am I a disciple? Do I believe in the king or am I a disciple of the king? <clears throat> in his book, The Other Side of the Wall, Gary Miller writes about the doctrinal slide since the middle of 1800s. And I find this very in intriguing. 
he says in that book that a doctrinal slide of the late 1800s coincided with the arrival of Bible schools. It's like, you know, Moody Institute and some of these bigger, I mean, you know, it's like, they just didn't have Bibles previous to the mid-1800s, Bible school. And, and they started showing up, and the doctrinal slide coincided with the arrival of Bible school. It's like, no, wait a minute. That should have been the other way around. And this has to do with education of the scriptures. I find it intriguing. Instead of emphasizing a changed life by following Jesus, the focus shifted to what a person knows and believes about him. This subtle change may not seem important, but the consequences were dramatic and had huge ramifications. Suddenly, living out the teaching of Jesus not, did not seem nearly as important as how much Bible knowledge you had attained. Modern Christianity has shifted from focusing on a change in life to a change in belief. This change of focus is huge, and I believe it is the underlying root of the doctrinal slide of the late 1800s. But this shift did not only affect our history. It still affects us today. It continues to plague our churches and our outreach. Even the secular world is aware of this dramatic change. A few years ago, an author interviewed in a secular news magazine. It stated that the weakening of Christianity has come from within the churches themselves when they started focusing on loving Jesus rather than listening to him. That concept, brothers and sisters, this morning is to me extremely thought-provoking as a child of the king. Do I make mental assent to it? Or am I willing to bring my life into subjection to that king and love every minute of that? Am I experiencing the joy of being a child of the King this morning? That is a tremendous blessing. That is a tremendous privilege. It is an awesome, sobering responsibility. May we love and fulfill that responsibility. Let's pray.